0: Hi, everybody. This is Steve Conover. Just a quick note before we begin this week. We're airing a program from our archives, and I know you'll be blessed. Today, our topic is replacement theology, which is a belief that the church has replaced Israel. Chris has as his guest, Dr. Mike Stallard. Stay with us. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. We believe God in His Word has revealed a unique plan for Israel and the Jewish people, and it's at the very heart of our mission here at the Friends of Israel to communicate this truth, and that's why we'd like to offer to you a free one-year subscription to our award-winning magazine, Israel My Glory.
1: Yes, Steve, I'm sure when it comes to Israel, a lot of our listeners may feel like these are deep theological issues that only their pastor or someone with a biblical degree can handle. And this is why Israel My Glory is such a valuable tool for you. Our magazine will give biblical insight you need to know that will help you understand why Israel still matters today. You can get your free one-year subscription to Israel My Glory by going to foi.radio.org. That's foi, as in Friends of Israel Radio.org. Now, last week on the program, we dedicated our time to understanding the history of replacement theology. Today, we continue our discussion with Dr. Mike Stallard on how replacement theologians interpret the Bible and how their interpretation dismisses a future for Israel. And then, apples of gold. Israel announced its plan to close the local offices of Al Jazeera, claiming the Qatar-based news broadcaster is behind the incitement to deadly terror attacks. Al Jazeera is known to invite panelists who encourage anti-Semitism, sympathize with the Nazi agenda, and promote lies and hate toward the state of Israel. In fact, Israeli Defense Minister Avidor Lieberman is reported saying its coverage is like that of Nazi Germany-style propaganda. Closing Israel's Al Jazeera branch doesn't hinder free press in Israel, but it does prevent terrorism. <music> Have you ever wondered why, when you listen to some pastors or Bible teachers, they never seem to preach or teach? about a future for Israel. And then you listen to others and all of a sudden, they're teaching about God's plan for Israel and the Jewish people. Well, you know what, this this idea is not always black and white, but the truth is this, the way pastors and teachers interpret the scriptures will definitely determine whether or not Israel matters today and in the future. And that's why I'm glad to have Dr. Mike Stollard back with us again this week uh, to talk about replacement theology. Dr. Stollard was uh, dean of Baptist Bible Seminary, and now we are happy that he's here at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry as the director of International Ministries Mike, great to have you on the program again. Thanks for coming back. No,
2: glad to be back.
1: We've been discussing um, replacement theology, and we have been—last week, we looked at the history of replacement theology. We looked at the—how replacement theology, this idea that the church has replaced Israel, um, and and we looked at the history of that, how it kind of infused itself into church his, history. Today, I want us to step back and look at the the way that replacement theologians— Interpret the Bible. But before we do that, let's get everybody caught up here. Can you define for us again what is replacement theology?
2: Well, replacement theology is the idea that the church replaces or supersedes, or in some cases, fulfills Israel's place as the people of God. So, Israel, in a national, political, ethnic sense, is done away with. Of course, Jewish people can be saved and come into the church, but the plan for them as the people of God, as outlined in the Old Testament, is done away with. It no longer exists. In in some way, it's uh, either forfeited because the Jews rejected Christ, or uh, the church is kind of a continuation of Old Testament Israel. So uh, that's replacement theology in a nutshell.
1: You know, another term for this, you mentioned this, is it could be something along the lines of supersessionism, And you also mentioned fulfillment theology. Are those both another form of replacement theology?
2: I think those are both ways of saying the same thing. There are different varieties, of course, and people um, on on that side of the uh, doctrinal debate Uh, speak differently about it. In fact, some uh, covenant theologians, for example, really chafe at us calling them replacement theologians because most of them actually view themselves as just continuing the promises rather than replacing the promises. So they don't like that term, but that term does, from our point of view, uh, a literalist understanding of Scripture. uh, We see the promises to Israel being kind of wiped out and replaced.
1: If if one's to believe that the church has replaced Israel— then they're going to have to interpret the Scriptures a certain way. And I was just wondering, you know, how do those who hold to replacement theology, supersessionism, fulfillment theology, how do they interpret the Bible?
2: Well, it's, uh, that might not be the right question entirely, because it, they interpret lots, lots of the parts of the Bible in a correct way, mm-hmm. following grammatical, historical, literal interpretation. Um, but when they come to Israel's promises— They change. Let me give you an example. Uh, Matthew Henry, the great commentator, uh, almost every preacher has a copy of uh, his commentary set. Uh, He he uh, died in 1714. One of the Puritan fathers, we might say. Uh, But when he came to Luke chapter one in his commentary, it's when uh, Gabriel is announcing to Mary the Virgin Mary and explaining to her the virgin birth. Uh, He says to her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And of course, the virgin birth that's taught there and in the surrounding verses, he took very literally. Uh, But then very next verse, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now there's no way that Mary would have understood the kingdom language there in the throne of David as something other than a literal earthly Jewish kingdom. That's right. But Matthew Henry says that has to be a spiritual kingdom because Israel doesn't exist. He just says that. He just says that. And in his day, of course, his Rand McNally map didn't have Israel. <laughs> That's right. So he would have had to exercise a little stronger faith. And But there were some who were beginning to exercise that kind of faith. And so uh, anyway, you, you, you look at the replacement approach and it accepts much of the Bible literally like we do. But in, it, it, when it comes to Israel's things, they, they dump it in favor of a different approach.
1: Now, I, you know, I know that over time, especially today, we see a lot of theologians are being honest with the Old Testament— They're being honest with the covenants of the Old Testament, and they're even being honest with the way that those Old Testaments come into the Gospels. But then at the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ, all of those things become fulfilled, and now all of a sudden Israel again— doesn't matter. They kind of all get assumed. We, I, I believe we call this fulfillment theology. They get fulfilled in Christ, and that's it. It's done. But wh- how do they interpret passages like Romans 9 through 11, you know, where it says specifically, God says, is, is God through with Israel? May it never be. How do they interpret passages that are so
2: precise? Well, they look at uh, passages like that uh, as dealing only with individual redemption. Okay, uh, you get the beginning of Romans nine, though it brings up all the covenants, and in those covenants, there's more than individual redemption. Now, in Romans nine through eleven, that particular example, most of those three chapters is about individual redemption, but you still have the promises scattered all the way through the Bible about the future of national Israel, and so what they generally do though is just wipe those away and talk about the you know, There is a future for. Israel but it's not national it's not ethnic they get saved spiritually and come into the church that's the way most of the replacement guys act and they and they do view themselves as having a place for the Jewish people through that individual redemption
1: are there are there any replacement theologians that have a quasi view of a future for the state of Israel at all that that that, that there is some aspect of a future for Israel in the
2: scriptures well, I think uh, Piper and Grudem, both are premillennial, they would say there's a spiritual future for Israel, but not a national future for Israel. In the land. In the land. Right. You go to some other guys, like Harold Camping, that those guys wouldn't claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a future for national Israel, it seemed, although he was uh, a bit different in the way he approached things. So, there are some, and there's a whole, a whole spectrum of ideas. On that point, but if you go to Romans 11 and the branches, the olive tree and the branches, you know the the branch, the natural branches are Israel and they are pulled out, broken off, and the Gentile branches are grafted in. Uh, So the church is the grafted in Mm -hmm. uh, branches, and so some would say that's that's proof that God has cast Israel aside. But then the whole tenor of the three ver uh, uh, three chapters is that Israel will come back, and both. Uh, will be part of that. So the individual redemption is the most important thing there, but uh, like so many uh, approaches, they emphasize individual redemption to the exclusion of national and land promises. Can I say, you know, when when I
1: first started the Institute of Jewish Studies uh, here at the Friends of Israel many many years ago, um, I remember our first lesson was in interpre- interpreting the Bible, and I can remember our our professor said, "You never read the New Testament." into the Old Testament. You start with the Old Testament and you work your way to the New Testament. Do you think people and theologians, pastors who hold to a New Testament priority over the Old Testament
2: will naturally be given to a replacement theology? Uh, That is actually where replacement theology comes from. And there are really two, two reasons why it's hard for them to get out of that. Okay, first one is tradition. I mean, the creeds of the church are filled with... Uh, the belief that the Church has replaced Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the idea, the emphasis on individual redemption alone. And it's hard to admit that you have centuries of wrong teaching. That's just a hard emotional thing. Second, uh, because of this New Testament priority, uh, they reject the idea that the Old Testament text can stand alone for its own interpretation. The most important factor in understanding the Old Testament is the Old Testament text. For them, the most important factor is the New Testament understanding of the Old Testament text. You end up with a quite different approach if your starting point is different. Right.
1: Folks, we've been speaking with Dr. Mike Stollard, who is the Director of International Ministries here at the Friends of Israel. He's been with us for the past two weeks to talk about replacement theology. Last week, we looked at the history of replacement theology. This week, we dived into the interpretation, how people interpret the Bible to come to the conclusion that God has replaced Israel with the church. And next week, I want you to come back because we are going to finish up. We're going to look at the results of replacement theology. What what kind of effects replacement theology has uh, uh, on the church and on, on the way that the church influences and relates with Israel and the Jewish people. Join us then.
0: Have you ever wondered how Bible-believing pastors can interpret the scriptures differently when it comes to Israel? Why does one say God is through with the Jewish nation while the other teaches a literal future for Israel? Chris, some might be thinking, does it matter? And is there really that big of a difference between these two schools of
1: theology? Steve, there really is a difference between covenant and dispensational theology. And that's why we'd like to recommend Dr. Reynolds Schauer's book, There Really Is a Difference. Dr. Showers takes the two popular theological systems or approaches to reading and understanding the scriptures and compares them side by side in an easy to understand way. To purchase your copy of There Really Is a Difference, go to
0: foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940. That's foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We've been investing three weeks into looking at the theology of supersessionism, which is also called replacement theology. This theology really has an effect on the way your pastor or theologians interpret what the Bible says about the future for national Israel. And it's hard to imagine, but a majority of Protestant pastors believe God's plan for Israel is essentially over in some form or some fashion. Replacement theology can include those who believe God has completely abandoned the Jewish people after their rejection of Christ, while others believe God still has a plan for the Jewish people, but they become Christians and become one with the church. And as a result, the church replaces Israel's plan, what God designed for Israel in the Old Testament, which again is just another form and outworking of replacement theology. As we learned last week, church history definitely didn't treat Israel and the Jewish people favorably, which was wrong. I mean, all you have to do is look at the scriptures and you can see that God does have a heart for his chosen people. According to the scriptures, God does care about the ones that he gave a purpose to. He has a bright future for them in the Messiah Jesus. And today I want to turn back to church history to show that a handful of church fathers, a handful didn't simply look to allegorize or spiritualize the Bible to fit the church into Israel's history. But instead, they swam against the tide and sought to interpret certain Old Testament scriptures literally, giving Israel their rightful place in God's plan of redemption. And I want to go back to really early in church history here, Irenaeus, who was a church father who ministered around 202 AD in what is now France, wrote on the future of Jerusalem, and he said this Jerusalem will be rebuilt after the pattern of the Jerusalem above. He continues, those who allegorize prophecies of this kind, talking about other pastors and church fathers of his day who overlooked the Old Testament prophecies that promise a rebuilt and reinstituted Israel in Jerusalem, he says this, they shall not be consistent with themselves. He says, again, this idea of allegorizing prophecies of the Old Testament, if they do that, the result is this, they won't be consistent with themselves. Irenaeus says something profound here early on in church history. He's saying prophecies in the Old Testament cannot be allegorized because in the end, they will not be consistent with themselves. The the moment you begin to make the text say what you want it to say, you'll find that your interpretation becomes a square peg in a round hole. It isn't consistent with the text as a whole, and you'll end up having to change other prophecies in the Old Testament and New Testament to make your allegorized interpretation work. So while Irenaeus wasn't always perfect, at the way he interpreted the scriptures or understood God's unique plan for the Jewish people, you can see he wasn't willing to simply allegorize the text away to make it fit his interpretation. Now, I'd like to turn to another Christian in church history who went against the grain as well. John of Rupacissa, a French Franciscan who lived around 1300 AD, about 1,000 years after Irenaeus. And John of Rupa Sisa could most likely be viewed as an early Christian Zionist. Now, you may not think much of this, but for the time of John of Rupa Sisa, the time that he lived, his view was definitely different. For him, he believed Jewish people who would come to faith in Jesus the Messiah would become God's new leading nation in the world and Jerusalem would be completely rebuilt to become the center of the purified faith. And he came to this conclusion on his own in a sea of replacement theology by interpreting the Old Testament prophecies literally. Again, This way of interpreting the Old Testament prophecies literally was foreign to the church at that time. Until then, Christians would interpret the text to apply either to the time of the birth of Christ, that Jerusalem was heaven on earth, and so Jesus is the presence of heaven on earth in his incarnation, that heaven came down when Jesus was born, or that the heavenly Jerusalem was beyond the clouds. This is the kind of uh, interpretation they would come up with when, when they would look at replacing Israel with the church, and sadly, much of medieval Christians in Europe, remained as a result anti-Semitic, which would not lend itself to seeing a future for the Jewish people in Israel. It always amazes me to see how God was preserving those along church history to see the scriptures with a hope for the Jewish people. They saw a hope that God would restore his people to the land and there would be a national revival of the Jewish people. Now, next week, we're going to peer into the effects of replacement theology. What were the long-term effects of the way that people were interpreting the Bible this way and and how God saw fit, despite what Satan was doing to work against them to bring his people back to the land less than 70 years ago?
0: Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher.
3: For many months, I had not seen the ultra-Orthodox from the Lubavitch movement. They tried to convince people that their late leader, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson from New York, was Messiah. I was wondering whether they had left for good until recently when I heard a knock on my door. Several ultra-Orthodox men stood outside with one of their well-known rabbis. A few years earlier, this rabbi had argued with me "'on a crowded bus and shouted at me concerning my faith. "'He did not know upon whose door he had knocked "'and was greatly surprised when I answered. "'We have come to visit you,' he said. "'With him were two young assistants "'whom he was instructing in how to witness to people "'about Rabbi Schneerson. "'What news do you bring?' I asked. "'Important news,' said one of the young men. They began to speak about Rabbi Schneerson, about whom many in Israel no longer want to hear. Do you believe he is the true Messiah, one asked. You have believed a lie, I replied. Nervously, the men looked at the rabbi. Did you hear what he said about our holy Messiah? Then one asked me, why do you speak against such a holy one? You are worshiping blindness, I said, and you will become spiritually blind as your teacher has become. And how do you know you follow the truth? Because I follow the Bible. I believe only in Almighty God as is written in the Bible. Is the Bible not holy enough for you? And do you pray from the depths of your heart or from prayer books? We pray from prayer books. How do you know how to pray without a prayer book? I pray before the Lord from my heart. I show them the important passage of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where it is written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. They recite these verses many times each day, but they do not understand what they say because they read so quickly. We had a nice conversation, and I gave them a piece of cake and a cup of coffee. The hospitality surprised them. One young man remarked, We know you are against us, yet you receive us warmly as friends. Why? I believe in Almighty God, I said. With him there is no hatred, only love. Then the students wanted to know how I came to believe in Jesus. So I told them. It was a great opportunity for me to explain the true way of salvation. I opened my Bible and read to them what is written about the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah 53. They listened, reading along with me, while glancing at the rabbi, waiting to see what he would do, but he did nothing. Then he said, it would be better if we left. Why? We are reading the Bible. Is it forbidden to read the Bible? But they left telling me, we want to see you again. Please pray they return and that we can have another conversation about the Lord.
0: We'd like to thank Dr. Mike Stallard for being with us today. He'll be joining us again next week to finish our discussion on replacement theology as we look at some of the dangerous effects of this teaching. It's because of people like you, the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry has been sharing the love of the Messiah and supporting Israel and the Jewish people since 1938. If you feel led to support our work or you simply want to reach out to us, visit foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. You can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Once again, that's 888-343-6940. You can write to us at FOI Radio PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Quickly again, that's FOI Radio PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Especially you new listeners, let us know where you're listening when you call or write. Our host and teacher is Chris Katulka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.